All right, welcome back, everybody, to another bonus episode of the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm Jordan Renick, your host. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Last week, we talked about a couple kind of common questions or myths that people talk about on social media in terms of cholesterol. And we're going to say the same thing today again. We're going to go through a couple points or questions or things that I commonly see in social media and talk about why I think they don't necessarily hold up to the scrutiny that some people think they do and kind of just my opinion on that. So once again, this is more kind of off the cuff, me ranting a little bit and just kind of talking about things, but I hope you enjoy it. So the first one we're going to tackle today is some people say that, hey, some studies show that people with higher cholesterol live longer than those who have lower cholesterol. So like the logic is therefore higher cholesterol improves longevity. So it's kind of like what's called the cholesterol paradox, meaning why is it in some studies you see people with higher cholesterol living longer well first things first you got to look at which studies they're talking about right so first thing we've talked about and we go back and watch one of our previous podcasts on like studies and how we design studies all these studies they talk about are always association studies so meaning they're kind of looking use you prospective or cohort or whatnot meaning hey we look at these people at the, this point in their life. So it kind of, you know, later in life and they have the LDL of this and they seem to be living longer than the people of LDL this, like, oh, well, what's happening? Well, that's exactly the question is what is happening? We're not sure of it, anything at all. You know, these are all just association studies, can't prove anything. So when people jump and say, well, LDL is better for you living longer, all like you can't prove anything by any of those studies. So all they're saying is like, hey, in some situations, it seems that LDL for some people, when they're a little higher, you know, they, they seem to have maybe some potential benefit. We'll see why that is, whatnot. But like once, first things first, like these are all association studies, zero, zero causality can be judged from this. So if anyone says like, oh, higher LDL causes you to live longer, like they don't understand science, like plain and simple. And they're using, you know, the studies in a, in a manipulative type of way. And so that's the first thing. And then on top of that, I always tell people like, you know, there's a ton and ton and ton of evidence of statin trials, PCSK9 trials, azetamibe trials, all these things where we're lowering our LDL. And like, we don't see people just like dying, like left and right. Like, you know, if, if, if having this low LDL is like a really, really terrible thing, then we'd like see people have like really bad outcomes in these studies. And we don't, we see the opposite. We see them having really, really good outcomes and it improves their cardiovascular risk and decreases their events and all those things. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, something's just discordant there. And then if you look at the Mendelian randomization data, right? So these are people who have super low LDL from birth. So like they've had this low LDL their whole life and they have the lowest instance of heart disease and they have really good long-term survival. Once again, we're not seeing these people just die young because they have super low LDL. So once again, these are showing all these different exposures, like people with LDL, like lowering your LDL, it does not seem to leave, like lead to this increased risk of mortality. Like I said, it's not matching up with these association studies. And so what can be accounting for that? Well, a couple different things, you know, first of all, studies don't account for a lifetime exposure of elevated cholesterol, right? It's only a snap snapshot. So it's very possible that there's a little bit of a survivorship bias. Survivorship bias, meaning the people that we see here who have high cholesterol, those might only be a fraction of the people, right? There might be a lot of people who had really high LDL who had heart attacks or you know, strokes or things that died earlier. And so we don't see those people. And so like I said, we don't know anything about the total group of people with high cholesterol. Just at that point, you know, there are some people and we know that that's going to happen, right? We know that people, some people who have high LDL don't get heart attacks. You know, some people who have low LDL do get heart attacks. Life's an imperfect world. We do not have a perfect understanding of what's going on there. Once again, we're just trying to mitigate risks in, in different ways that we can, right? So kind of having multiple buckets have our eggs in different baskets. So on top of that, not only do we have this, maybe this survivorship bias, but chronic conditions like cancer, liver disease, cachexia, organ failure, all these things can lead to, all these things can lead to lower cholesterol. And so, you know, it's most likely that that might be playing a factor as well. And then also, like I said, if you have 
all these issues, lowering cholesterol, meaning you have cancer and organ disease, so really, really frail people who are going to unfortunately pass away, they're more likely to die and they have lower cholesterol. So that kind of could be potentially skewing some things there. And so, like I said, that's kind of one for me. Like when I see people say like, oh, like people live longer with that, like that doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't make sense. We have no like hard data. Um, explain that. If you go back to our causality lecture that I've talked about, you know, in terms of causality, let's look at this. Okay, it's just association studies, so check one right there. We don't have corroborating evidence from that. We don't have a mechanistic reason necessarily. Like, you know, obviously I'm not saying it's impossible, but it just, the things don't add up. And for me, I'm not saying like, oh, I, I need my LDL to be high to live longer. Like that just doesn't seem to be the case based on the mountains and mountains of data we have of people going on lowering, you know, LDL lowering medications and issues, things like that, and not having issues. And so that's just kind of where I stand on that. Okay, next I want to talk about a topic that people talk about all the time online, man. It is so prevalent. It's that particle size is everything, right? So the logic is that there's two different types of LDL, essentially two main groups. There's a type A, which is a fluffy LDL, and there's a type B, which is small, dense. So what a lot of people say is that type one or type A, which is, you know, quote unquote fluffy, this LDL is not atherogenic. I mean, this is essentially harm, harmless. It just kind of floats around, does its thing. It's like, boo, boo, boo. It's just, you know, unassuming, doesn't cause an issue. Whereas type B is the problem. Type B are these small, dense ones that we see typically in the setting of insulin resistance. And I will be the first to admit, I, there is some data that type B is more atherogenic potentially. But that being said, a lot of times, a lot of times it's due to particle size. And so, you know, for example, there's billions of lipoproteins in the circulating bloodstream, right? So tons and tons and tons of them. And so when they penetrate the wall and the other blood vessel, right, it starts this inflammatory process and it starts atherosclerosis. So the question is, I mentioned earlier, what can get across this membrane? Well, lipoproteins smaller than 70 nanometers can penetrate the vessel wall. So 70 nanometers is like our size. Okay. If you're less than that, you can get in there. Type A, which are the quote unquote big fluffier ones, right? They're bigger than 25 nanometers. Average about 27 nanometers and so once again 70 is the threshold so that's how wide it is and these lipoproteins are like 27 so like they clearly can fit in there so it's not the case at all that they can't cause atherosclerosis that's not true type b though are significantly smaller they're less than you know 25 um, nanometers and so they're super super small but once again type a still plenty small to get into vessel walls and so another reason why i think this is a little misguided and I'm going to give you an example here of two different patients, right? We have, let's say, patient A and patient B, both with an LDL, let's say, around 140. So obviously, elevated, don't love that. But let's say we have type B. Let's see, they're typically, like I said, when we see type B people with these small, dense LDLs, they typically have a high risk, but usually it's because they have more LDL particles around, right? So if we have type A and type B, they have the same amount of cholesterol, LDL of 140, right? If you have a small, you know, smaller size LDL particle, you're going to need more of those particles to carry the exact same on cholesterol in the A pattern. So once again, if type A is bigger and fluffy, or maybe it takes only 10 of those particles to get to 140, that's a complete made up number, but let's say 10 to get to 140, whereas type B might need 20 of those particles to make up 140 on the LDL. So that's what one's the thing. It's not necessarily any more risky. It's just that a lot of times to make up the difference, the type B patterns are a little more, um, there's more of them. And so that's the thing. A lot of times if we take ApoB into account, going back to our ApoB friend, which is, you know, accounting of all of our VLDLs, LDL, atherogenic lipoproteins, all that stuff. Once those are taken into account, it seems like the risk kind of disappears when we're actually looking at the particle count. So, you know, when they say a particle is a particle, that's kind of what they mean. They're saying that a particle is a particle, meaning we have one particle and another one here. They both are small enough to get in and cause damage. It's just a matter of the total number of particles that we have. That's what we worry about. So once again, there are people who out there who are hawking saying, hey, you need to get these fancy tests. You need to get, like, look at the, all these particle sizes and everything. Like I said, there is a time and place for those and they can be helpful. But at the end of the day, um, like I said, I would not waste money on specific size. We can look at it will be and we should be fine. All right, the next question or topic I'll talk about is some people say that, hey, 
you know, we don't see much improvement in the elderly. You know, they're our most vulnerable and weak. Therefore, statins don't work, right? And we should expect to see them in the biggest benefits in our elderly. Why do not? Well, let's talk about it here. Essentially, first of all, we think that lifetime exposure matters. And so by the time someone's already elderly, most of the damage is already done. So therefore, we wouldn't expect to see as much benefit or change at that time, right? So you need a much, much bigger improvement in cholesterol to see a difference. And so, like I said, if you're, you know, had a 60, 70, 80 years of lifetime accumulation, you know, in order to see a change in the medication, you probably have to have an enormously big change in your LDL cholesterol. And I've actually seen in some studies, they do see improvement in LDL by such a great degree that it improves outcomes even in the elderly. But that being said, not every trial shows that. And so, like I said, a lot of times it's his lifetime exposure and we need a much bigger improvement to see that. And on top of that, you know, people also ask the question, well, you know, people who have heart attacks can have normal cholesterol. And so people with normal cholesterol, they're still hospitalized, they have a heart attack, therefore LDL can't be the problem, right? Like, well, we know for a fact that about, you know, a third of heart disease occurs in those with normal cholesterol. Like I said, so I got known people be like, well, Jordan, that doesn't mean the, that means the LDL hypothesis is wrong. No, it just means that everything's not perfect, right? We're not saying that that's the only thing that matters. But like I said, we see a pretty consistent increase in risk when we start increasing our total cholesterol on our LDL. So like I said, it's not one-to-one. We know that. I've said that so many times. But that being said, as we start to increase, we tend to see a bigger prevalence. And so the question we also have is what defines normal, right? So for a total cholesterol, we've used this cutoff for 200, right? 200 for a long time. And it seems to be pretty much arbitrary, you know, in the world of like blood pressure, right? So we used to have blood pressure like, oh, you could probably be like 150 over 90. It's not a problem. And now we've kind of gone like 140 over 90 and then like 130 over 80 and 120. Or so we're just kind of going down and down and down. So blood pressure has changed as we've learned more. And so, you know, we might be experiencing this right now in the world of lipoproteins and cholesterol metabolism as well, in terms of the cholesterol in normal cholesterol might not be 200. It might be significantly lower LDL. You know, we might find that it's our goal shouldn't be 130 or 120. It should be significantly lower than that. You know, like I said, we know that around 70 is the area where we start to see halting progression in the plaque. So maybe 70 is actually our normal, right? And then we're actually all higher than we should be. And so that's kind of the thing. It's like, are, you know, how are we defining this? And so desirable LDL is probably lower than what we recommend. Like, so that's, that's a thing. And then on top of that, when people say, you know, LDL, we have normal LDL, what's going on, how we have heart attacks, there's something called discordance into play. So what that means is discordance means when there's LDL that appears normal, but you may have lots and lots of particles. So for example, those patients who have insulin resistance or diabetes, they have lots of those pattern B, small, dense lipoproteins. And like I said, they might have a quote unquote normal cholesterol, but they have lots and lots of particles. And like I just mentioned before, particle count seems to matter a lot. And so LDL could be normal, but we still have a elevated ApoB. And so we have an elevated risk. And so that could be playing a factor as well. On top of that, also LDL is something called a negative acute phase reactant. So what this is something like vitamin D, testosterone, albumin. During physiologic stress, things like, I don't know, a heart attack or a stroke infection, all this, all that, when this happens, we can see those things like vitamin D, LDL, they can go down and this number can markedly decrease. And so yet another reason for why when people have heart attacks, like in that acute setting, their LDL might be lower because they're going under physiologic stress. So there's numerous reasons as to why LDL might be normal in the setting of a heart attack. And once again, it's not perfect. It's not one-to-one, but once we, we know that as we're increasing the particle numbers, we tend to have a higher risk of having a heart attack or stroke. All right. Next one is that people say, Hey, if I have a CAC of zero, it means I don't have atherosclerosis. I'm good to go. Don't need a statin, don't need nothing. I'm good. Well, atherosclerosis actually exists on a spectrum. We know that it can exist with calcium. It can 
exist without. You know, but if you don't have calcium, then we're not going to see it on the CAC score. But that doesn't mean you don't have it. Calcium is a later process in atherosclerosis, so it's super advanced by the time you get there. Like I said, if we're getting a CAC, we use the Gaxton units. That's kind of how we score it. You know, if you have zero, it means no calcium. Great. That means you don't have any calcified plaque. You know, if your score is 1 to 99, that's mild. 100 to 399, moderate. 400 plus is severe. But what a CAC of zero does not mean, does not mean there's no atherosclerosis. It does seem to have an impact in terms of a lower short-term risk compared to those with a higher score. So that's pretty, pretty standard. If you have a CAC zero versus a CAC of 500, big difference there. But that being said, about one third to one quarter of heart disease and complications in younger people occur with a CAC of zero. So once again, CAC was zero, but we still have heart disease and kind of heart disease complications. How is that possible? Well, we don't necessarily have the calcium yet in atherosclerosis. So we can have the soft plaques that we see that aren't calcified yet, don't show up on the CT and we're doing the CAC, but it's still very much there. And so like I said, that's one thing to think about. And then on top of that too, we can also see calcium in other circumstances. I mean, just of, of noting here. So like a calcium score, if you're on a statin, it's pretty well known that we pretty much don't count calcium scores if you're on a statin because statins can increase some calcification. Also can, high intensity exercise can as well. And so we're not necessarily sure what's going on. But that being said, this setting, it seems like in the statin and the exercise, it may be more of a quote unquote stabilizing effect. We're not necessarily sure. But long story short, you can have plaque in your artery and that's not calcified, and that's very possible. And that being said, if you do get a CAC score of zero and you're elderly, that is something that we typically is a little more reassuring. So, you know, like we expect to see when someone's elderly to have some sort of positive CAC score, meaning we'll see some sort of calcified atherosclerosis. If we don't, I feel pretty good about that. And the guidelines kind of say, hey, we can kind of base some recommendations off of that. But that being said, if you have a CAC of zero, that is not a get out of jail free card. Um, there's lots and lots of other, other things we need to consider. In, 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 and on top of that, also considering that you might have uncalcified plaque inside your artery. So once again, not a get out of jail free card. All right, next might be that saying, hey, I don't want to be on statins. That's going to ruin my gains. Meaning, hey, I know that statins can have some you know, muscle symptoms and that can happen. And I'm already using my muscles a lot when working out. So I'm worried and I don't want to take them. Well, there's no line there. Myalgias can happen. So can myopathy, which is more muscle damage. Myalgia is just kind of muscle soreness, whereas myopathy is actually muscle damage. That can happen, but it's much more rare. And we've talked about it before. That being said, we're not actually sure that like statins cause much more side effects than actual placebos. You know, in study, there's people who are blinded and in the same time in the placebo group, they seem to have the same amount of myalgias as those on statins. So the people who took the placebo versus the people, people who took the statins seem to have the same amount of symptoms. So pretty much some, I saw one study saying up to like 80 or 90% of symptoms that were reported um, from taking a statin maybe due to this nocebo effect, meaning people thinking they're going to have a bad, a bad outcome. So on top of that, studies don't seem to, you know, we don't seem to see decreasing muscle strength, aerobic capacity or any other objective measure of muscle function. So it doesn't seem to be like it actually is causing bad outcomes. That being said, obviously can have some muscle symptoms. Gotta, you know, work with that in terms of if you're having issues, switch things up, switch dosing, switch medication, do whatever. There's lots of things we can do, but it doesn't seem that like, you know, if you're starting to stand, you're automatically doomed and you're, you're not going to get any gains anymore. All right, so that's all the questions we're going to talk about today. Just a little sampling there, just a couple of them, but I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found this helpful, it would mean the world. And if you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared this with a friend, that would really help get this out. Also, if you want to hear more from me throughout the week, I do have a newsletter that I'll send trying to talk about research articles that I look at. But like I said, I really hope you enjoyed this. Thanks so much for stopping by. Now get off your phone. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you later. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. 
The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.